What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast, episode 175. I'm, of course, your host, Josh Burton, and joining me today is a, one of my teammates, Mr. Trevor Everett, a longtime favorite. Might as well say a new teammate, Mr. Michael DeRosa, and we will have a yeah. special guest with us. <laughs> if you're following along live with us on the Twitter, YouTube, and the Facebook group, you will see him down in the bottom left corner for me. We will get to our special guests in a moment. But Trev, Michael, how are we doing on this fine Thursday afternoon? You know, I'm hanging in there, Josh. Living life, you know, just as much as you can. That sounds boring, bro. <laughs> that sounds boring. Yeah, you went wrong. <laughs> I'm having a Trev, great day. I, I know you got off the whole. Nah, yeah, I'm having a great Thursday. Uh, I'm not used to these. Like it, North Carolina is like, it's like I've hit Antarctica temperatures here. It's like I'm not used to these ten degree days, and so like I'm just bundled. That's why I'm bundled up here in my office. But yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to talking like always. I almost face planted well, got- walking to class like four times. It's been bad. Nice. Well, the roast is in Indiana, right? Because he's going to Butler. Obviously, I live in Indiana, and the temperatures have been brutal. Going out and starting my car in the morning barely seeing just i just need a little sliver of space to drive so i don't kill people but it's been brutal here in indiana as well but we got a lot to talk about today uh we got to talk about the purdue demolishing indiana and that rivalry game indiana indiana looks poor and for all of our hoosier listeners out there we apologize in advance but we're gonna kick the show off right today we've got our special guest uh, might as well bring him on. We welcomed our special guest today a man who is in his fifth season at the helm of lipscomb by for at the helm of the Lipscomb Bisons, let me try that again. His team is sitting only a game back in the race for the A-Sun regular season title. And they will be in action tonight, actually, against Central Arkansas. We welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. Lenny Acuff, the head coach of Lipscomb. Coach, we got to meet a little bit at the Bellarmine game a week or two ago. I was there covering the game with my brother. We sat next to your bench, so we got a little chance to interact. But it's nice to get you on, have a kind of a more fully discussion with you oh it's my pleasure thank you guys for being here you guys are my kind of guys i could tell you love ball sitting at press row uh you were educated i like that you knew what you were talking about i like that um you know i always say that you have to the 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 people you stay away from the people have strong opinions about things they know little about you don't want to talk to those guys i like talking to people that know what they're talking about so it's my pleasure i'm glad to be on thank you for what you do for college basketball well, we appreciate that, Coach. And by the way, full disclosure, that was a foul on the floor in that Bellarmine game. <laughs> it was definitely a foul on the floor. That's kind of I, what I, I thought. Mean, full, yeah, full I disclosure, I told to those it. Guys. Hey, you know, it's funny. I, I went to a uh, one of my former assistants is the head coach now at Treveca, which is a D2 school here in town. And I went to his game last week, and one of the guys that was in that Bellarmine game, he came up to me. He found me in the stands. I was sitting right behind his bench. And he came. He said, "Hey, coach, I blew that call." I'm like, well, I just <laughs> said, well, "I said, I said, we missed well, a lot of shots that night too." So everybody makes your mistakes. <laughs> well, good thing you guys came out victorious, and I want to ask you some questions about that game. Uh, we've been fortunate sure. enough to build some kind of relationship with Coach Davenport, so it was cool to be there for him and get to cover you guys. But I'm gonna let Trevor. I know Trevor's got a question he wants to start off with. So, Trev, I'll let you take the floor first. Like I'm a couple hundred miles from Lipscomb, but I did. Uh, uh, Josh told me all great things about the experience there uh, against Bellarmine. Um, whenever we talk to coaches, one of the things I really like to ha- uh, hone in on is, you know, I think their journey and story, whether it's who they interacted with, you know, what they did before, that kind of thing, right? I think it really guides to where they are, especially at the Division One level. Um, so, you know, 
I, I, you know, you could be bashful if you'd like, but I'm going to kind of read some, some information that I got about you that I think the listeners should really know. And it'll set up the question. I think, uh, will make it a little bit easier. So, um, coming from division two, right. You spent a long time there at Alabama Huntsville, um, with a, uh, 61.6% winning percentage over 600 wins, eight time Gulf coast, Gulf South coach of the year, excuse me. Um, bunch of conference tournaments, titles, bunch of regular season titles, 11 tournament appearances, um, elite eight in 2011 and 2012. I bring that up because I think that speaks to, you know, there, there's this level of respect that's given for somebody that's put the time in and worked their way up to the division one level. So how has that level of success and that journey, how has it helped shape you into the coach you are today to specifically lead a division one program? Well, uh, that, that, thank you for that question, Trevor. I, it's funny. I, you're the second person asked me that question in the last 10 minutes. I, one of my former players was at shoot around today and he's thinking about going into coaching he was asking me some different things. And, you know, my story's a little a lot, really probably different than a lot of guys that are coaching division one basketball. I, I, my first job, I was 25 years old. I was head coach at NAI school in Jackson, Mississippi, Bellhaven college. I was 25 and, and I'm telling you, I look back on that and I'm learning every single day, but I'm telling you, I didn't know come here from Sikkim. I mean, I just, all I knew was I worked hard and I cared a lot, you know, and I wanted to do a good job. And, but, you know, everybody has to write their own story. You know, we, we all have a chance to write our own autobiography. You know, it's not a biography. You have the pen in your hand and you have to decide the route you want to go. And, and you guys know, even in your business, what you're doing, there's some people that are born on third. That's just the way it is. And some people you have to hit a triple, you know, um, if you want to be in media or whatever, it helps if you played at Duke, um, if you played at Kentucky, those type things. Those guys have a running start at it. But, you know, I was a small college player and and I knew that the the thing I wanted to do, I, I needed to learn to coach. And the best way to do it is be a head coach. And so um, I was at Bellhaven for three years in AI school. Then I went to Barry College in Rome, Georgia. I was there for four and then I went to the University of Alabama in Huntsville for 22. And that was that's home for me. That's where I grew up, Huntsville, Alabama. And we were we were really fortunate. We had a great run there. And it was a great situation. Um, I'd have been more than fine staying there the rest of my life. But they called me about this job. And, and, and I've had a lot of people say, why would you leave somewhere you've been that long? And, you know, I didn't want to look back with regrets. I didn't want to look back and say, well, could we have done it at the Division One level? What would that have been like? And, you know, I, I don't think you're, when you're lying on your deathbed, you're going to look back and say, I wish I'd have played it safe. I, I, I don't I don't think that's the route to go. I want to say, you know what, we 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 took a shot at it and, and I thought Lipscomb was a good fit. That's really important for wherever you coach. You've got to be a good fit uh, both ways on both sides. I felt like they appreciated the way I would do things. And I felt like that I could do it in a way that would be consistent with the school's mission and values. And um, so it all worked out. So I, I'm very, very thankful. I've been blessed. You know, our first year here, we got beaten the championship of the conference tournament. We lost at Liberty. Uh, and just a little side note, you know, the year before I got here, they played an NIT, NIT championship game. They won 29 games. And I walked in the first day mm -hmm. and the SID said, you know, now you're losing 7,700 points, the most in the history of college basketball. And so it was a complete start over. And, um, but that first team fought their tail off. We got to the finals. Uh, we finished third the year of COVID, uh, which was, a, that was not a lot of fun for anybody. Uh, did not have a good year. Our third year, we just weren't good enough. And then last year we kind of got it back going, won 20 games and, and, uh, and so far so good this year, we, you know, got a long, long way to go. Love it. And anybody along the way in that journey that deserves credit that, you know, maybe listen to this, that, that helped you kind of achieve 
the some yeah, of these goals. there's so many people. I, I tell you, Trev, that the thing that I would say is, I, I hope one day I can help anyone. I try really hard to be kind and try to think about what if that was me. I always say, just I, I, the title of my book is going to be "What If That Was You." You know, would you like when you guys ask me to come on? I'm like, yeah, I'll be glad to come on. I mean, that's if I can help you guys, I want to do that. I think you can get anything out of life that you want if you help others get what they want. And um, and so I, I was so fortunate. I was hired by by a guy named Tony Engel. He hired me at 23 years old as his assistant at Alabama Huntsville. I only got to work with him for one year, and he went to BYU as the associate coach. And he actually passed during COVID. Um, but he ended up being the head coach at Kennesaw State, won a D2 national championship, then went to uh, Dalton State and won an NAI national championship. Not a lot of people outside of coaching know Tony, but I had a lifetime of life lessons from him. Um, you know, Don Meyer that coached at Lipscomb here for many, many years as a legend. He was so good to me. Uh, John Beeline has been really kind to me as a dear friend. Um, really spent a lot of time with him. And I've really tried to learn from as many people as I could. And so just I always think just look for someone you can help. And because I know I, I need to pay it forward because there's been a lot of people that have been really good to me. Thank you, Coach. If uh, DeRosa, Coach, you got something for Coach right now? Of course, uh, Coach, just a couple questions for me. Uh, one, uh, did you feel any pressure taking this job? I mean, you mentioned you were losing 7,700 points, which is uh, just ridiculous to think about. But when Coach Alexander took the, uh, took the Belmont job just down the road from you, I mean, he left first NCAA tournament bid in program history, followed that up with an NIT finals bid. Did you feel any additional pressure taking the job when you took it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's no doubt. And, you know, I, uh, the guy that uh, replaced me in Huntsville, he's like, oh, I've been tough, you know, following you and all that. And he's done a great job. I said, what if I went a mile down the street to your biggest rival? Um, I mean, that's a, that's a <laughs> tough deal. But, but you know, I, 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 you know, I, I tell people I, I didn't, I knew that I had a lot to learn and I, and I, and I really try to be humble, but I didn't, I didn't take the job with a lot of naivety. Um, I knew it was going to take time. It was not going to be easy. You know, I think the, the, the longest distance between two points is a shortcut and I wasn't going to take shortcuts. We were going to try to do it the right way with good kids and kids that fit. And we were really fortunate that first year, you know, we weren't playing very good and we got hot. Um, we won nine of our last 10 and got to the championship game and, and I probably after that, I felt like, you know what, I, we, I think we've proved that we belong here. And um, but you're doing that every day. But honestly, Michael, I, I tell you, you don't you, the most pressure you ever feel is from yourself. I mean, there's no one going to put any more pressure on me than I am myself. One hundred percent. I love and that. Go ahead, Josh. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry no, 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 no. You, go were, ahead. you were going to make a much better point than I was. Please go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you're good. But uh, coach, what I was going to ask is, you know, we've talked to coach Davenport a handful of times. We've talked to coach para from rice and various coaches around the country. And we always talk about the transfer portal, especially at that mid major kind of low major level where the bigger schools kind of come pick players off. But I want to talk to you about when we seen you play Bellarmine a couple weeks ago, one of the players that stood out for me in that game, I had a blast watching was Joe Anderson that you got from Furman. Talk yeah. to me about Joe and his impact this year, because when you watch him on the floor, it won't always be big numbers, but everything he does contributes to winning at a high level. Yeah. He's a winner. You're right on the money, right on the money, Josh. He's here's what I think with us. We have to be incredible under the radar recruiters. We need to find the diamonds in the rough. Joe was the third string point guard at Furman last year. 
And it was like, well, that means he can't play. Well, they don't realize the first string point guard was the player that well, the, was the best point guard in the Southern Conference, and their backup was a Wake Forest transfer. And we had seen him in high school, and you know, and 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 all of us, you know, sometimes when you get a second chance, that's what life is: is giving guys second chances. And but you know what? You know the thing about Joe that I appreciate the most is he just wants to win. He cares a ton, and he just wants to win. You know, right now he's at a stretch, and I hope he can keep it going tonight. His last four games, 26 assists, one turnover. Incredible. 26 assists, one turnover. Uh, we go to Florida State, and you guys know how talented they are. Um, and, I mean, they, they pressure 94 feet. They're the biggest team in college basketball, really difficult to play against. He goes 10 assists, no turnovers, and we win the game. He was the reason we won the game. He, he got us every shot. Uh, they couldn't pressure him. Um, he kept us in our offense. And I, I, I'm saying now it's a guards game. I, I, I mean, uh, Zach Eady is, is obviously an outlier, but it is a guards game. You cannot win without big guard, without You can't win big without really good guards. And, and when you talk about the guards, uh, besides Joe Anderson, you have a litany of them. And I want to talk specifically, we'll, we'll say coach to coach, because I've coached high school, basketball, middle school, all the way through as well as play, all that, right? But let's talk yep. tactically, because our fan base loves to hear that. When we watched you, and I've watched you a couple other times throughout the course of the year, watched the EKU game, your style of play is fun. Going into that Bellarmine game, you were inside the top 100 in tempo. You're just outside now, but that's not any fault of your own. You're basically a top 100 tempo team. You run a five out a lot of times, if not a four out, one in, and you play fast with constant movement, constant cutting, and sharing the basketball. Talk to us about playing that kind of quote-unquote modern style of four-out, five-out basketball. And what do you look for as far as you're teaching your kids on how to play that? What's a good shot, bad shot? What are you looking yeah. for and all that? Yeah, here, here's an interesting side note on that. Uh, about 20 years ago, well, 25 now, we started running Princeton offense. And we were running Princeton – I mean, we were running it A to Z. And – Everybody and the people would use against us in recruiting. I always said if you run Princeton, you get way too much credit when it works and way too much blame when it doesn't. Usually what works is having good players. That's what works, is having good players. But we we ran it fast. Like we we, we were running slow. We were we really tried to play fast. And and now it's amazing. You watch anybody on TV, you watch the NBA, it's all Princeton concepts. It's five out. It's elbow. It's high post. It's 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 constant movement. And and we we try to play conceptually. Um, we are our, our whole thing is if you have people that are technical in basketball is we say chase the next concept and the concept comes where's the ball where's the five, where's the ball where's the five and that tells us what we're doing. And a lot of times when we play, people say well y'all are calling out all these plays. We don't have to have any plays. We just have concepts. If the five's in a certain spot, we're in a concept. If he's in a low post, we're in a concept. If he's at the top of the key, we're in a concept. And that's what we're chasing. And, and, and you know, here's what we're looking for all the time, Josh, is the four things we look for in every possession. We want an advantage layup, and that's to try to get our hand to the backboard. I think some of the worst shots in basketball are layups. I call them cheerleader layups. So they go in there and they try to shoot over a 6'11 guy, and they land in the cheerleaders, <laughs> and there they go the other way, and it's fine. You give up a layup, miss a layup, give up a layup. We want advantage layup. We want a range room and rhythm three for the right guy. We want to get fouled. We want to get an offensive rebound. That's what we want. Like, I don't go into the game saying we need to shoot X amount of threes. 
I think some people, I think that it sounds good to say we're all into analytics. I, I like analytics, but analytics are just telling truth. They're good. You win when you take good shots. Thank like you, you. I mean, I, I don't want to take 40 bad threes just to say we took 40 threes at like I'm smart. Like what I want to do is if we get 40 good threes, take them. But I have no interest in shooting bad shots. And, and I think like tonight when this game starts, I have one job. And it's try to try to get more good shots from my best players than the team we're playing. That's it. That's my job. Let's get more good shots for our best players. And Coach, so, I knew, oh, sorry. So we just try to move the ball, move pieces. We we start with the end in mind, and we try to play through those concepts. Coach, I knew I liked you because I've been preaching. Like we obviously in our field, we use analytics all the time. We use the Ken Palms and the Torvics and all that stuff, right? We're, we're sponsored by an analytic company. And I think it's always been a tool to use as opposed to the written gospel. And I think too many people in the sport try to use it as a written gospel, but don't actually watch the game and understand game flow and concepts and all that. So I appreciate the heck out of that answer. Coach, we have some live listeners here that left some questions. If you don't mind us getting a few of those. Sure. So our, our friend over Connor McCabe, good, good guy on the YouTube asked, he says, I have a question currently working on my coaching license here in the state of North Carolina. He great. Hold on. Let me read. Uh, he working on his coaching license here in the state of North Carolina is worded a little weird. Basically, he, he's trying to get into coaching soccer. He wants to know what advice do you have for a young 20-year-old who wants to get into coaching? Go somewhere they're going to let you work. Just, just say, hey, here I am. Like I, you, you don't need to go be the fifth assistant at North Carolina, the fifth wherever. Go find a small school that needs help and say, hey, here I am. I, I, I'm a jack of all trades. You tell me what needs to be done, and I will get it done. Like go where you can work. There's nothing like practical experience. And, you know, I think a lot of times everybody wants to get to the highest level that that's not what it's about. You need to get to go where you can really get to be, do something and have responsibility. And there you go, Connor. I hope you're listening to that. Great advice. Also from one and done a college basketball podcast over in the YouTube ask, my question is how different is recruiting in the transfer portal as it is recruiting incoming freshmen out of high school? I think that's a good question with the way things are changing nowadays. It's obviously, it's very, very different guys, but, but here's what I think, and this is where we are. And I told our guys in the staff meeting this week, we're not doubling down on who we are. We're tripling down. Like that's, we're going to be who we are. And I think for us, we would like to build our program with high school kids. And, but what we want is we want kids that want to be here. We want want kids that want to want to play at Lipscomb that want to be a part of a program that that really values character and substance. Uh, we're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I want guys that love ball. And and I tell them when they get here, I say, look, from June first when they show up until our last game in March, it's about the team. Now we'll have a discussion about you in March and what you want to do and where you think you want to be, but we don't make exception to that. Like between June and March, it's about us. Now, March to 1st of May or whatever, this can be about you. But I want kids that want to be here. And there's a lot of kids that really want a chance to play a division play Division one basketball in a great city at a school that cares um, with a bunch of good dudes in the locker room. And that's what we're looking for. And it's changed a ton. But I just think I, – I, I think there is no blueprint, but I do think success leaves footprints. 
And I think we just have to keep trusting in who we are and doubling down on getting good kids that love ball and really want to be somewhere that they have a chance to win and play. Coach, I got one more question. Uh, my little brother is playing high school ball. He's a junior in high school now, and uh, he yeah. wants to get recruited to play maybe D3 ball, maybe walk yeah. on a D1 program or something like that. Do you have any advice for a kid who is looking to get recruited and is really trying to get their name out there? Yeah, patience is a virtue. Like we, we, we get calls every day, you know, because high school coaches want to help their kids. They do. And we get so many calls like what my kids not getting recruited. What, what are you going to do with him? Do you like him? I like, like, we do like him, but like, as we sit here today on January 18th, we only have one scholarship. That's it. Now, March 18th, we may have six. So I'm in no position to be, we can't commit really to anything until we see, we almost have to run that ground ball all the way out and to say, okay, do we have a need at this position, that position, do we need youth? Do we need experience? What does that look like? Like our, our first three subs off the bench last year went in the transfer portal and they were all experienced. They all played double finger minutes, but they wanted to go somewhere. They have a chance to play more. Well, we needed a little bit more experience then. We, you know, we, those guys were playing a lot. And so we had to go get a couple of transfers. And I, and I think we did really well with Joe Anderson and Old McCormick, but, this year, it may be high school guys. If I, we, if all our guys come back, we'll go, we're going to try to get high school guys. And so just be patient. Thank you. I, I love that, Coach. Um, obviously, we've been grateful for the time. Before we let you out of here, you have a big game tonight, conference game at home against Central Arkansas. Without giving too much of the scouting report away, what are you looking for tonight from your guys heading into a, a home conference clash um, you're only one game out of the early standing, yeah. but it, it's a race to stay up there. As you know, um, there's some really quality teams in that league this year. There, there are. Central Arkansas is really talented guys. They scare me to death. They can really, really score. Um, they went into one of the toughest places in the league the first first game of the year and won at North Alabama. Uh, very talented. They probably got the best freshman in the year, a kid that's leading them in scoring, Anderson. And uh, I mean, they, I, I just watched their film this morning from Oklahoma. They played Oklahoma really tough. It'll be a tough game for us. And I think we have a good team. I really do. But our margin for error is not substantial. I mean, like we, we, we're not going to overwhelm you with talent. Uh, we, we have to be who we are. Like we have to be really detailed. We have to have a good plan. And we need to be, and I tell them all the time, you got to have a strong chin. You know, we got to be willing to stand in the middle of the ring and just hang in there for a long time. And then, you know, but I have done it a long time. And I will tell you, if you want to be playing meaningful games at the end of the year and, and you have to earn the right to play in big games, everybody wants to play in big games. You earn the right to play in big games. You got to take care of home court. You have to take care of home court. I don't care what level of college basketball you look at. It is brutal, brutal to win on the road. I mean, it's well, really hard. So you better take care of home court. And we've seen that. I mean, we've talked about it ad nauseum the last couple of weeks once conference play officially started. Look at all the road losses from top 25, top 10, top five teams. you got to take care of home court. Coach, we appreciate you, especially on game day. Best of luck tonight. And we will promise you this if it works out. You guys make the NCAA tournament, get the AQ from the A-Sun this year. We always do a big tournament show. It's one of our best shows all year. We will have you on if you will have us for our tournament show once I, you make I the tournament. I promise you, if we make the NCAA tournament, we may talk every day. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> all right, I guys, love you have a blessed night. Thank you, Coach. Good luck <laughs> tonight. Thanks, Bye -bye. Coach. Good luck.
man he Boys, uh, how fun was that he what i was gonna mention this at the end but I, he was getting out of here um you know i was gonna give him some advice against uh you know illinois tonight the they gave up bradley at least did bradley uh won their game against southern illinois and they gave up the largest lead or largest deficit comeback in in program history for bradley so my advice was him was just don't quit for 40 minutes because southern illinois might give it up so you never know man well, like pl- bradley just had a heck of a game against them so yeah well, it's true. Um, the Central Arkansas game will be very in- that that a sun and we'll oh, we'll get sorry. They're the playing the wrong team. I said the wrong team. I, apologize. <laughs> I, I just realized that when you said it, I'm like, wait, what? Sorry. We'll get us back on track. It's all good. Things happen. But that Central Arkansas team, I mean, the a sun is a quality league. I know we're going to talk a lot about the Mountain West again today, but that a sun for kind of a low major conference. You look at Lipscomb and Eastern Kentucky are the two that really stand out. But there's some good teams, even with the departures of Liberty from last year. That is an underrated league, and we talked about it with Jonathan Warner of Bracketology a couple shows ago. We all agreed if Lipskin can win that conference, get the AQ, the style in which they play and the veterans like Coach just talked about, they are going to be a problem as like a 15-14 seed for some unsuspecting two or three come NCAA tournament time. They're going to be a problem. I love watching that team play. I mean, one thing I look for when I'm looking at like teams who play in March was one, he mentioned the Princeton offense, like even teams that run like similar Princeton concepts, like the five out, those are tough to match up with, especially on a couple of days notice. Maybe you haven't played a team like that in a little while. A team doesn't shoot it as well as like Lipscomb can. So that's another thing. But another one is a team that has gone into someone's gym and beaten a high major or competed with a high major. And they did that without their leading score during Boyd. So that, I mean, they went in there, they beat Florida State, and they competed with Arkansas. So I, that those yep. are just a couple of things I look at, and they could be dangerous. Uh, I will say, first of all, I should be in the uh, penalty box for five minutes for getting the wrong conference there with that comment <laughs> after he left. First, first of all, I want to apologize for the live <laughs> listeners. Uh, for those watching it back, if we cut it out, that'd be great. No, but um, uh, I love the Princeton comment. I'm so glad Michael mentioned that. Like, as somebody who covers very heavily this year at Princeton offense uh, you know, on a week-to-week basis for games, like – People attack head coaches all the time, and the head coach who's listening to this knows exactly who I'm talking about when I say this uh, to himself. But, like, p- coaches get attacked all the time for, like, you know, when the shots don't go in, right? The person offense gets so torn apart, right? And, like, he, he made a comment and alluded – I'm paraphrasing here. He alluded to that. Um, but when it's working, it's amazing, right? And we see, obviously, those examples in the tournament when it wins. So um, I think people just need to understand the, the game better and realize like what that offense looks like and when it is working, even if it's not, you have to have an incredible defense to back that up. And a lot of the teams like Lipscomb have an incredible defense to back it up. Well, well I think too, also um, if you watch them, like the hit historical wise, the Princeton offense is more of a slow down type of yep. we'll bleed the clock. We'll hit you on the back cut. If you overplay the back cut, we'll pop out three, all that stuff. They play at a tempo, and again, what I go back to the tempo comment with him, they're just going. They're going. They're getting the best shot, like he alluded to. We don't necessarily want to take 43s because analytics say so, but if they're 43s that are good quality shots, let's let them fire. So they're playing at a te- or like a modified Princeton where it's kind of faster paced. They are so fun to watch. If you guys get a chance ever on like an ESPN Plus or something, tune into them. Lipscomb is a very fun team that has a chance to be an NCAA tournament team this year. But let's pivot to a for surefire NCAA tournament team. It is a massive rivalry here in the state of Indiana. It's a massive rivalry nationally from a historical perspective. And Indiana swept Purdue last year. They tried to get another win at home in the friendly confines of Assembly Hall the other night. Purdue wasn't having any of it. Indiana started the game off good. 
it was a back and forth affair. Um, they were close, but once Purdue settled in and threw a hammer or haymaker at them, Indiana just folded. They did come back a little in the early second half, got it all the way from a 22-point lead down to nine, and I thought, well, maybe this will be a game. But again, once Purdue kind of settled in, threw back at them, Indiana was done. Your guys' takeaways from Purdue's ass-whooping against their hated rival in their home building. It just shows you exactly what you can do when, like, you neutralize Kalel Ware. You know, five points, you know, six rebounds, two assists, two blocks. Like, I mean, for the level of play he's had this year, Indiana's not winning a game if he plays like that. It just is what it is, and I don't want to overcomplicate things. This also, to me, just solidifies. I know Jones and Lawyer had great games there. Um, they didn't need much out of Braden Smith. He had nine assists, of course. But, um, you know, I don't want to say that Purdue can get into this this almost flow. I don't really think that's the right word, but, like, this is so, you know, important in the time of the year where this is the kind of game they're not going to be able to play in the NCAA tournament. So it's nice that they know they have the talent in Zach Eady to have 33 and 14 and just be unstoppable. And it's almost like just a, a check mark on the calendar. Not that they couldn't have lost this game. Obviously, they lost against Northwestern, completely different team, that kind of deal. But this is one of those ones where it's almost cruise control, even on the road, where we know for a fact they're probably going to win this game. And Indiana fans, I'm sorry, I really am. I don't mean that in a negative connotation. I mean that in, like, Purdue is this good, and we know that. And this is why, like, I just didn't see any chance for this to be the case. And then when Clover played that way, it just it was just going to put the nail in the coffin for me. Yeah, for me on the Indiana side, Indiana doesn't isn't getting a ton from their guards. Like Gabe Cups is a freshman. You're expecting a lot out of him. And I saw the stat. I was looking at it on my phone. I sent it to a group chat a couple uh, days ago. But uh, Xavier Johnson, since he's come back in his last three games, he's averaging 1.3 points a game, 1 of 11 from the field, 1.7 rebounds, 1 assist, 3 turnovers a game, and has 2 flagrant fouls and an ejection. You need more than that out of your veteran leader guard. When you've got you've got the bigs, you've got good wings, they got nothing out of the guards, and they're not hitting shots like that. It's going to be really tough for Indiana if they really want to try to play meaningful ball in March if they're not going to be able to get anything from the guards. So our, our good friend and supporter, Johnny Stroud, big-time Indiana fan, we talked about this game yesterday for a long time, and he's of the belief that if Mike Woodson would have loaded up, did pro not, I don't want to say proper recruiting, but if he had to manage his roster better where they had more guards that could be played, he would be just fine with Xavier Johnson being dismissed from the team because he brings them nothing as a six year senior. He only negative stuff. I did not see the final uh, plus minus, but it could not have been good when X was on the floor. And that's not necessarily a shot at the kid. We're just speaking facts. A couple things I want to talk about real quick schematically from this and kind of gameplay-wise. Indiana, like Purdue just sagged off. They said, you ain't going to be this from three. We know you're not. We dare you to do it. Indiana in the first half got a ton of open threes, wide open, could not hit. Indiana has shooters. We've talked about this. I still believe C.J. Gunn's a good shooter. I believe Gabe Cups is a good shooter. I believe McKenzie Mbaku is a good shooter. The problem is they're not good makers complete different. They are not good makers. And I think some of that has to do with Woodson's offense, where a guy like Gabe Cups and CJ Gunn, who are shooters, they both went one of two in this game. They both need more opportunities from three besides two apiece. But the way Indiana plays, they force feed the post. The other thing, speaking of the post, you to beat Purdue, we've seen it with Nebraska. You've got to spread them out, have versatile bigs who can make shots and create. Nebraska had that. Indiana's got that with Khalil Ware can step out and hit. Malik Renew shooting like 40% from three. 
but he kept trying to post up at times Khalil Ware 1v1 posts up against Zach Eady, and that's never going to work. That's never going to work. And then Purdue just played harder. Like when their guards, we've said it all year, when their guards play good, when you get double digits from Lance Jones, you get double digits from Fletcher Lawyer, and it even proved Braden Smith doesn't have to score double figures, but he does everything else well. When Purdue's guards play good, they may be the best team in the country because you've got the equalizer in Zach Eady. When their guards don't play well, that's when they're susceptible to an upset. It's all about their guard play for Purdue making a run in March. Indiana, you're just going to have to find ways to make shots. I know that's very simplistic, but you've got shooters, but you don't have a whole hell of a lot of makers, and you're going to have to start figuring out a way to have some makers on that team, or else it could be like a 13-14 loss IU team. You guys disagree, agree with any of that? Agree with all of it. 100% with you. Let's go to your neck of the woods as far as conferences go, DeRose. I didn't have it originally, but Trev brings up a good point. UConn, the new number one team in college basketball this week. You know, this was the first time they played a game as the number one team in the country since like 2008, 2009. It's been that long. It's been a long time. And if you remember that team ended up going to the Final Four as one of the favorites, got beat by Michigan State and kind of an upset in Detroit. But they, they've been red hot. We, we know all about UConn. They played Creighton, who had been winners of four in a row, and they put one of the best defensive performances I have seen all year. They held Creighton to 48 points. Uh, Trev, this was your idea. I know you wanted to talk about it. What is your thoughts on UConn's dominating defense and how – Iffy, we'll put it nicely, iffy Creighton looks. I'll get to the UConn thing in a second because they they are my number one team. I voted for them this week. Uh, I, As did I. Yeah. I agree for the for, on the Purdue point for the most part, except for the fact that UConn, I think, right now has the advantage. Um, I have a question because obviously DeRosa can speak to this uh, more than either of us. But on a scale of 1 to 10, how worried uh, – this is more specifically to, to DeRosa for a second here – how specifically are you worried on a scale of one to 10 that Creighton even has a chance to win a game in the tournament? It would really depend on the matchup. So I, this is not something I expected early season. So on a scale of one to 10, give me like a six and a half, seven. Uh, they, you can out muscle Creighton really easily. You can take them out what they want to do. And they like in this game and they have in a couple other games, they just looked shot confidence wise and no sport aside from maybe like a fighting sport, I guess, because that's individual, individual. No team sport, you need confidence like basketball. Confidence is a drug in basketball. Like you hear it all the time when someone's pulling up from deep and like they've hit two in a row, it's like that thing might as well be an ocean. That's going in. Creighton never looks like they have that confidence. They don't ever look like they have that flow. They don't ever look like they have that. So if you're losing that in March and you're getting out muscled, yeah, uh, very concerned. Uh, This is, I've been pretty on this team for a while and they just haven't answered any of the questions I've had yet. I'm disappointed in them. Going to uh, the chat right now, Connor says it says creation. I think he meant Creighton is just bad. Uh, Indiana U triple S a says UConn might be as good or better than they were last year. And I don't necessarily disagree with that. Like, I don't think there's that steep drop off. Like they don't have like an Andre Jackson or an Adama Sanogo, but there's not been that huge drop-off year over year that maybe one would expect. If they play defense like this, good luck beating UConn. I mean, good luck beating him. Yeah, and look, they they know how to suffocate you when teams try to make adjustments, right? Like Creighton didn't go to their bench much, but they brought Farabello in for 20 minutes, and he had five points. No one else on the bench scored. Six minutes, six minutes, four minutes, and then the two guys that played one at the end. But, like, 
UConn just finds a way to adjust to any any switch or any change that a team makes specifically like when they go to their bench or they try to you know do a two or three extra guard lineup like it it's something that continues to prove every single time they play that Dan Hurley's one of the best coaches in the country and it's just a completely where it is Josh where are you on that scale of one to ten for Creighton winning a game I know it's matchup dependent but the whole point I bring up is like the UNLV loss early on like yep. that is what it is right I tweeted the other night UNLV is you know there's a tier of the Mountain West that we all think can make the tournament, and then UNLV is right below it. They're building something really good there with Coach Kruger, but you know that was kind of the first time we ever were like, hmm, that's weird, right? Uh, for Creighton, right. but then like my point is, is obviously this is a team that, like I said on this podcast with you, not even a month ago, I think it was less than a month ago, I said this is Creighton's Big East to lose, and now I, it's, here we are. Where are you on that scale, one to ten? I I, I think so. This might be the cop-out answer. I'll say five, but I actually think if you look at Creighton's talent, that's kind of low. Just to like, win, a, win a game in the tournament is what you're saying, or get knocked out in yeah, the first round? Yeah, here, I'll ask it this way. Last year, uh, NC State drew the 11 against them, and I, you know, like I said, I told you I said every word imaginable that I don't want to say on the show. Yeah. Um, say they draw the same 11-6 for some reason against State. Would you confidently pick Creighton in that game? So here's what our friend Jonathan Warner over at Making the Madness, I was pulling it up while you were talking. His newest bracketology day actually has Creighton back as a six following the loss yesterday. They would play the 11 game between either Georgia or Cincinnati. If that was the game, I would favor, favor either Georgia or Cincinnati to win. If that helps answer that question, either Georgia or Cincinnati, I think would. Georgia would outscore them because they have so many different ways of beating you from three. Cincinnati would out physical them and give them problems. So either matchup, I think Creighton loses. So I'm not very confident in him is a long way of saying that. Um, I, You know, let's talk about Stephen Ashworth again real quick. He ended up with 14 points, but they weren't like a good 14, if that makes any sense at all. Meaning they weren't 14 where you felt great about. They were already down double digits, and then he kind of started scoring. Um, it's about like the Cowboys down 32 points, and then Dak wants to throw for 400 yards when we have our backups in. It was kind of like that. Ashworth. I kind of think right now this experiment going to Creighton has been a failure. I think if you tuck Creighton, and this will really make Creighton fans happy that listen to this, if you tuck Stephen Ashworth and swapped him with Hunter Salas, I think we've talked about this before, how much different would Creighton be right now? They're missing an athletic guard. Mm -hmm. They they would be totally different, right? He's the exact piece they're missing. And even if like you look at the guys who left Creighton, Kaluma – Hit a huge three last night, but like in general, he hasn't been great on a mediocre Kent State team. And um, uh, Nemhard is on a Gonzaga team that I think we all were quick on this one when we said that team could miss the tournament. And like mm-hmm. they definitely can miss the tournament if they don't beat your Wildcats in uh, in Rupp, which good luck. It ain't gonna happen, brother. Yeah, it ain't gonna happen. Good luck. <laughs> uh, yeah, they'll have to win the WCC tourney. So I think you look at like that's almost a loss for everyone when we look at it now. And you look at how good Hunter Salas is at Wake. Yeah, uh, that's the exact piece they're missing. And Ashworth just didn't have a great game yesterday. Like, he was getting torched defensively. Like, Stefan Castle just kind of muscled him around. And they, whenever they would, like, switch him on to a Spencer or someone like that, he would just kind of get cooked. So, it wasn't a great game from Ashworth. Uh, and Farabello, I think Ashworth got in foul trouble early, too. And Farabello is, like, their backup one. But Farabello's not a one. So, to Connor's point in the chat, if you meant creation, Creighton can't really create shots aside from Alexander. So. <laughs> yeah. It's it's disappointing, and I think Creighton, they're going to be one of those teams this year that they will get on these little streaks of three, four games in a row, and then they'll lose to the better teams. 
I don't think you'll see them too often this year beat the Yukons. Even they've already lost one to Marquette. I don't think they'll win the return game. They'll probably lose the Seton Halls, St. John's. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll they'll win their fair share of games to get them 20 wins this year. But if they may if they get in the tournament comfortably, it may be like a 22 and 12 type of campaign that puts them barely in. I just I'm not high on Creighton on the opposite end of the spectrum. We've all talked about it. UConn, phenomenal phenomenal like they are going to be such a pain in the ass to play in the tournament again this year let's move on we've had seven yes seven top 25 ball clubs lose already this early part of the week of we're not going to go over all of them i want to ask you guys of those seven who's lost only a couple were actually ranked v ranked the rest were losing to an unranked team which one surprised you the most hmm I mean, let me take the cop-out answer of Penn State-Wisconsin. Let me just leave that one that in its own too. category. Yeah, like, I think yeah. that's understood, right? If I had yeah. to give you a better answer, I, I I would lean Cincinnati TCU only because I really believe in this TCU team right now of where I voted them. And just goes to show you even more data. If, I, if you're unranked one week and I rank you, you lose immediately. It's like, it, it just, yeah. I don't don't it's understand that curse, how that keeps right? happening, right? Um <laughs> I, the PYU Iowa State thing was interesting, right? Uh, and I don't have the score right here. I written down from the preview, but who actually eighty-seven seventy-two? Okay, so BYU ended up winning that game either way. Yeah. So, I, I guess I would say like none of them surprised me if you take out Penn State, Wisconsin, because I believe in New Mexico. Ninety-nine is ridiculous against Utah State. I want to talk about New Mexico real quick. By uh, I think, when let's just done. do that then. I, I'm not surprised yeah. by it, but that's my answer would be I, I'm I'm. I don't know. I'm not surprised by anyone, to be honest with you. But New Mexico is definitely an impressive. I'm surprised they scored 99 points, I guess, will be my point. I am, too. And how about the play of JT Toppin? DeRosa, we've been talking about last few mm-hmm. weeks. The kid is stepping up. And I heard a great comparison today on uh, another show. They compared him to a younger, newer version of Gerald Wallace. If you remember Gerald Wallace playing for the Charlotte Bobcats mm-hmm. was – I don't know if he made an NBA All-Star game, but he was right up there to make one. He did. He was really good from, like, peak 2004 to, like, 2007, 2008. That's kind of what JT Toppin reminds me of now that I got that comparison in my head. You throw in his development. We've talked about Nelly Jr. Joseph starting to come along, coming in from Iona, and then their backcourt, Jalen House and Mashburn Jr. And then, uh, what's his name, Donovan Dent. I love this New Mexico team. I love this New Mexico team, and Utah State is going to start coming back down to earth. I think we all thought that. They weren't going to go the whole year. They were 16 games in a row going into the other night, going into the pit. They weren't going to continue that. They're still a good team, but I think everybody knew that they eventually they were going to come back down to earth. But New Mexico, we talked about this. If they play the right matchups and play well in the tournament, I would not be shocked to see them this year's kind of San Diego State, Florida, Atlantic, see themselves in the Final Four. Love Richard Patino's team. Dude, they have so many good guards. I mean, you mentioned Dent last. Dent had 14 assists in that game. He was dealing, dude. Oh, my goodness. He played excellently. Then the game before that, again, San Diego State, Jalen House goes for 26. Those One of those guards, we said it before, one of those guards can beat you on any given day. Two of them, two of them have a good game. GG, GG. This team, they have so many good guards. And inside, you mentioned it with JT Toppin. I like that comparison, Gerald Wallace. He was very good for me on 2K. But, uh, man, he's really stepped up for this team. <laughs> they need an interior presence, and JT Toppin's been that. He's been legit as a freshman. So this team is a ton of fun. They are so much fun. They're really fun to watch. And if you're ever up late o'clock at night and just want to watch a fun basketball game, 
If New Mexico is playing, it'll be a fun game. That's all you need. L- love the late o'clock at night. The whole Mountain West in general. I mean, it. Like one of you mentioned uh, about the guards, right? Like Junior Joseph was somebody I highlighted very, very heavily in the magazine when I previewed the Mountain West. Like I was like, this is an incredible player that's going to be, you know, all conference, all defense, like potential to be the player of the year. Uh, Hasn't really turned it on. And then all of a sudden just, I mean, we got, what, 26 and 8 out of that. Sorry, I stuttered Mm -hmm. there. My my 24-7 sports decided to start playing a background video. Um, (laughs) Like you get 10 out of Mashburn, 14 out of House. And then like just even talking out like loud, obviously people, I feel like Dent – 14 assists, assists, first of all, it's just insane. Like, he's a one turnover. He's a better, one turnover. One turnover. Like, one of the best, you know, ratios of the year. Um, and then you don't even think about a guy like 21 minutes for a guy like True Washington, who was, you know, it ranked in the 120s, 130s for 24-7 sports, which is why I pulled it up when that video decided to play. Um, and playing 21 minutes is somebody they're continuing to build more confidence in. When they get up in these games, they're, they're giving him these opportunities and they may not be the deepest team in the entire world, but it's somebody that six points, uh, three steals for him, two blocks for True Washington. You know, just just to continue to be that productive. If you're in a really tight, you know, game in March Madness, and they get into foul trouble, they're going to have no worries with him coming off the bench. And it's just somebody I think needs the the love and the love and praise that they deserve. You know something else I love about New Mexico? If you look at their analytics, 61st in adjusted offense, 28th in adjusted defense. Good levels, really good levels for a team out in the Mountain West, but they're eighth in the nation in tempo. They are not slowing this thing down and trying to grind out like a Big Ten-style meat grinder win. They are wanting to play fast, and they're wanting to move the ball and get up and down. And when you have those guards that we've talked about, when you have the three-headed monster and you have a versatile big man, you can play much faster than the average team coming out of a mid-major conference. I'm telling you, and I know you guys agree with me, New Mexico, when they get in the tournament, no matter where they're seated, they're going to be a nightmare for a lot of teams to try to figure out this year. That Mountain West, you look at the standings too, San Diego State, Utah State tied at 4-1. and one. Boise State, who's coming along nicely after kind of starting slow, they're 3-1. and one. New Mexico, 3-2, and two. Colorado State, Nevada, UNLV, Wyoming, 2-2. Two and two. Literally one loss separates the top, what, eight teams in that conference at the moment. This is an incredible conference. We've talked about it. I think I predicted that they get six teams in. I don't, Trev, what'd you say? Five safely, six maybe? I think five safely, six That's exactly right. Yeah. Utah it, State was somebody that would teeter in and out. My guess would actually have been, I don't think they come down to earth that hard, but um, Boise State, like they got a huge win, uh, or he actually lost at home the other night, uh, broke their winning streak. But I think they're the team that regresses to make it five. And then DeRosa, did you ever say, how many think from the Mountain West get to him? I didn't, but I'll go five. I think one of them gets left out just uh, yeah. just based on conference eating each other up. But yeah, five seems, that's a lot for the Mountain West, but that seems about right. It's a lot, man. Um, yeah. Utah State's upcoming schedule. They've got Fresno, Boise on the road. Going to be another tough one. San Jose State is what they are, what they are. And then look at this three-game stretch here at the beginning of February. On the road at San Diego State, home against Nevada, home against Boise State, Utah State could maybe get some separation for themselves in that three-game run to open February up. I love this conference. So many quality teams. New Mexico's flying. To answer the original question, what top 25 loss has you the most concerned? That's Ole Miss. They lost to LSU. I know it's on the road. They lost 89-80. That's not a great uh, – that, that's not a great loss. And no offense, I know 
Matt McMahon's a great coach. He's going to get that program turned around. They're 11 and six. But metrically wise, they've not beaten hardly anybody of no outside of Texas A&M. I mean, I guess they do have the win against Wake Forest early, early in the year when Wake's was, still figuring out. That but. was in Charleston. I, they did not. They were a shell of themselves in Charleston. They didn't have Jalen right. Cook either. Um, I did text you, though, from Charleston. I said that LSU, that, you know, they're not going to finish dead last, but they'll they'll right. have a couple of these nights, and, like, this this proves that. Yeah. And I, I'm worried about Ole Miss. That's after being unbeaten at 13-0. and It's two of the last four they've lost. You kind of forgive them the Tennessee loss on the road a couple weeks ago, but they got blown out. This one, I know it's, again, it's a road game. We just talked about how hard it is, but you think that you would be able to handle LSU because the schedule does not get easy. They've got Auburn on Saturday on the road. They play Arkansas at home, who maybe Arkansas is trying to find some signs of life. They're on the road A&M. We know how hard that is. They've got back-to-back home games against Mississippi State, Auburn, tough games, South Carolina, Kentucky. There's not a quote-unquote, what you would consider a favorite for Ole Miss until February 17th against Missouri at home. So this could be a make or break time for Missouri, whether they are a tournament team or on the outside left in because their non-con was pitiful outside the Memphis win. Yeah. I didn't believe them in the first place uh, and believe in them in the first place. And we talked about them the last couple of weeks. So I I'm leaving it as it is. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't believe in them. I felt like I had to rank them because they beat Memphis and they were undefeated. I didn't put them back in there. I watched that almost that entire Tennessee game, and it was like, yeah, they are who I thought they are. And then they play Auburn coming up. Say goodbye. Yeah. I do want to, before we move on, I do want to talk about one another SEC team who did win in dominating fashion against a tough Florida team at home, 85-66, and that's Tennessee. Listen, I've bitched about and complained and shared my concerns about their offense. But when you have a guy named Dalton Connect going for 39 and 30 consistently – the rest of your team could kind of have some letdown scoring nights. Vescovy only had two again. He's really struggled. But Dalton Connect, he's got to be a surefire All-American right now if the season ended right. I mean, he's got to be. It, yeah. Yeah, I'd probably, if I had a vote, I'd, he'd at least be second team, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's playing at an All-American level. I don't think anybody thought when he came in he would be this good. Your guys' thoughts, I mean, Tennessee, Dalton Connect, this team is rolling right now. Um are they one of the top four or five best teams in the country? And do you think if they play like this, they could actually break the duct and get to a Final Four? Uh, yeah, I, I think this is, if there was ever a year under Rick Bards, it's just this one. And obviously, Connect plays a big part in that. I had Tennessee sixth in the country at this point. That feels about right to me. Same, They're same up here, there. Yep. Yeah, and they could break through for sure. Like if, if Dalton Connect is hitting, hitting in like two big games, good luck beating them. <laughs> The thing for them, they're going to be a bad matchup for everyone they play almost every time. Like that yep. Duke matchup, like they were the they were a bad matchup for last year's Duke team. Like that's that's continuously going to play into their hand. And I mean that just completely from the defensive side of, side of the point. Like that's something that's going to get continuously, you know, beat up over and over again at that point. But that the offense, even on nights, I think I mentioned it to you, Josh, on the show here. I said one of the nights they uh, they lost uh, Mississippi State. I think it was they lost against Mississippi State at the hump. And by the way, I love that arena venue. <laughs> yeah. Um, they they scored seventy seven or whatever it was, right? In a really close, you know, almost comeback. And I still felt like I walked away from that and was like, "That's okay." Like it was a road environment, and they scored seventy seven points or whatever it was. It was like high seventies. Yeah. That's impressive. A Tennessee team of old wouldn't have done that. And not at all. Um, look at the SEC. 
there's obviously, I think, three teams that we can all agree that's kind of separated from the rest of the pack in a good conference, and that would be in Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky. As we sit here on January 18th, how do you predict that those top three to play out? In my top 25, I had Auburn fifth, Tennessee sixth, Kentucky seventh. So that feels like they're all fairly even to me. I'd have to look more deeply at like schedules, like who plays what, who plays who where, all that sort of stuff. But I love this Auburn team, man. I, I just really love the way the roster is constructed. And so I'm just, just going to just to stick it with how I've ranked them. I'm going to go <laughs> Auburn one, Tennessee two, Kentucky three. But I feel like it really could go anyway, and I wouldn't object. To make sure I understood the question, is that how I th- how do I think they finish, or what do I have now? Uh, how they would finish, like if, if you're looking oh, at those God. three between one, two, and three, how would you rank them at the end of the year? I would go Tennessee barely over Kentucky. I would go Kentucky with a gap from Kentucky to Auburn, even though I think Auburn's good this week. To answer Michael's point, I had Kentucky fourth, Tennessee seventh, and for the poll on Monday, and Auburn eleventh. I'm, I'm going to agree with you, Trev. Um, I, I think Kentucky-Tennessee split the home games against each other, but I think Tennessee will win a game extra that Kentucky probably drops for whatever reason. And I think Tennessee is going to win the conference by a game over Kentucky, and then I think Auburn is two games back, but then I think there is a drop behind those three. All three Final Four quality teams. It's going to be a lot of fun. February 3rd, Saturday, just in a couple Saturdays, we get the first Kentucky-Tennessee game. In Rupp Arena is going to tell us a whole lot about both teams. Cannot wait for that. Um, Let's start, as we start to kind of wind things down, let's preview some of the weekend's biggest games. We've had, we've been kind of spoiled in the the last couple weeks where we've had like top 10 matchups, top five, whatever. It's a little lighter of a Saturday, but there's still some very interesting and quality games. And let's stay in the SEC. Number 19 ranked Ole Miss on the road at number 12 ranked Auburn. We just shared our concerns about Ole Miss, and we praised Auburn. Do you think Ole Miss can find a way to get a major quad one victory to help boost their, their resume? I love how Michael and I in unison shook our head. No, like we were in sync <laughs> for about five seconds there. Um, I'll be quick and I'll be quick and out of the way. Auburn wins by at least ten. Auburn TKO. <laughs> I, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna agree with the, both of you, but I will say you got to keep in mind Alan Flanagan. Played his first three years at Auburn. He leaves with his dad to go to Ole Miss. If there was a game for an Ole Miss player to come back to his old school with a point to prove, I could see um, Alan Flanagan dropping like a 25-piece, but I'm going to Auburn. I think defensively, offensively, combination, they've got size. They've got playmakers in Aiden Holloway. They've got shooters with Denver Jones. Auburn rolls in Auburn. Let's Auburn, go number two. Wait, wait, one, just one point. I just noticed it on Ken Palm. Sorry, Josh, to interrupt. No, you're good. Auburn man. hasn't played a home game within 10 points this season. Yeah, they're rolling, man. <laughs> they're rolling. Which is why I said before yeah. I even knew that Auburn's going to win by at least 10. I'm just kidding. I definitely knew. <laughs> they're rolling. I, I do think on the positive thing for Ole Miss, their size may give Auburn a little bit of trouble. If they're going to keep it close, maybe they crash the backboards and get Auburn in some foul trouble. They can block shots a little bit. They maybe can keep it close, but I'm with you guys. Auburn wins. They are damn good right now. Um, Let's go to the Big 12. Number 24, BYU on the road at number 25, Texas Tech, who got their pants pulled down and whooped by Houston, who had needed a bounce-back win after losing two in a row. Texas Tech, it's a back-end battle of the top 25 in the ECB poll. It's a middle-of-the-pack battle up there in the Big 12. This should be an interesting contrast of styles with BYU's offense against Texas Tech's defense. 
at being at home, do you think Tech's defense holds BYU in check? Uh, I know. I think BYU, the way you framed it, I'm making sure I had it right. Uh, I think BYU, people were kind of overreacting to a couple losses here, but when they're making shots, like I know in Coach Akuff said it pretty clearly, like sometimes it's about as simple as taking confident shots and, and making confident shots. And I, when BYU is clicking, like they're, they're really hard to beat. I'm not saying they'll make the Elite Eight, but like they have like a, a makeup that is very unwavered even when they're down at home and things like that. So I just, a road environment, I could see them going into Texas Tech. You know, it's a pretty difficult place to play. Um, I would go BYU, and then I was going to give a shout-out. You mentioned Flanagan earlier for Ole Miss. I couldn't pull up the name in time. But uh, the one and done pod who commented earlier during Coach Cuff's interview, they had a heck of an interview with Wes Flanagan on their show. just wanted to give uh, my buddy Steve oh, Bagel, nice. voter in the ECB uh, poll, and give him a shout-out. They had Wes Flanagan on a few weeks, uh, a few months ago before the season. Oh, nice. So Yeah, uh, just getting back to this game. That's interesting, though. I might end up checking that out. Uh, give me, yeah, uh, I, I watched the BYU, uh, Iowa state game back and BYU just absolutely like BYU was able to get down the court against Iowa state and their offense was flowing. Like they didn't even shoot it as well as they could, but they just got down quick, made Iowa state like lose rotations and then just bang, bang, bang. They got so many shooters. If they can beat Texas tech down the floor, which is something Butler kind of did against Texas tech when I watched that game in person, um, they could, they could win this spot. It's a road game. So I don't like that uh, Trev and I agree in this spot because I didn't expect anyone else to take BOAU, but I really like this BOAU team. They play so – they're so much fun, and they have so many counters to points. Like, even when Texas Tech in one play, they that Ali Khalifa, like, backdoor pass we've seen so many times. Nasty. They were able to stop that and counter it, and then Khalifa just handed the ball off. I believe it was Dallin Hall. Dallin Hall dribbles the lane, kicks it, corner three ball, money 10. So they've uh, just got so many counters, so uh, smooth offensively. And that pack line – that no middle that ain't gonna work against it's okay that we agreed like you you, like i want i want to make this clear like when we make predictions like this is more to the audience who who has this kind of mentality like the overreaction has to overcorrect eventually Mm. does that make sense to everybody like i I know that sounds it's convoluted there for a second but like the overreaction of a team losing like utah state's a little bit of an example right like i think they do eventually come down to earth but the overcorrection of how good BYU was. And don't get me wrong, they beat State early in the year and a weird, you know, ref result. Michael and I were DMing about that. And I, like, look, I, obviously I was salty at first about the BYU result, but like eventually I have to realize, and I did, that BYU is really good. And the overreaction to them losing a couple of games in Big 12 against who now we know Cincinnati is a really good team, right? So that overreaction has to eventually overcorrect and overcorrect. And I think it's something that gets completely overblown or not not talked about enough once we get into mid-January. Yeah, and I think you have to take bigger samples to that point as well. 100%. Like if, if if like Houston, they lost two in a row. I think it's fair to say there's some concern showing their head in those games. But if you start saying like, well, Houston's dog shit now, well, that's come on, pull it back a little yeah. bit, right? Like now if they went five, six, seven games in a row, even winning and they don't look good, then that's a bigger sample size. Be like, oh, something doesn't look right. But, you know, I'm completely with you. Hey, I'm going to throw a sad out you for Texas Tech. Raise your hand if you had Kerwin Walton, the former Michigan State player, second in the nation in offensive rating. He is a 148 <laughs> offensive rating on Ken Palm, number two in the nation. He's Who's been number asked, one. I'm just curious. Who's number uh, one? That's a good I'd have to dig into it. I don't know. I'd have to look. Um, click, on the, click on the number. If it's Kim Pom, click on the number and it'll show you the it list. It won't let me. I'm trying to click what? on it. It won't let me. It's not hyperlink. Come on, Pomernoy. It's, it's Pomernoy. Zach Eady for me. 
Oh, okay. Uh, never mind. I shouldn't. Minimum twenty-eight percent possessions used, though. So maybe it's yeah. like different. Uh, no, yeah, but that Zachary is the right answer, probably. Yeah. Well, I mean, Walton's been great. Uh, he's been in their starting five, pretty much playing as the three-man small forward over the last couple games. Um, this is a good tech team. I better than what I think some people think. It is at home, but I'm with you guys. I think BYU's shooting is going to be a little too much for them. So I'm going BYU in a clean sweep there. Let's go down back to the oh, – let's go to the Big East. Number 18, Creighton coming off loss against – on the road at number 22, Seton Hall, who I will say it on the podcast right now as of January 18th, Shaheen Holloway is the national coach of the year for what he is doing at Seton Hall. DeRosa, this is your area of expertise in the Big East. Can Seton Hall rip off another massive quad one victory and continue to raise their profile and be right there in the hunt to win the Big East? I feel like this is a game where Seton Hall can really outmuscle Creighton. I feel like that's really their path to victory because Creighton, when Creighton gets glowing, like just skill wise, like if we're just cooking skill for skill, like Creighton and just the amount of shooters they have, they can beat anyone. But I think Seton Hall just outmuscles them, just out physicals them, out wants it. They can beat them to loose balls, all that sort of stuff. And Kadari Richmond versus Steven Ashworth, that's a mismatch. Oh, and even if it's Elmer Dodds, that's a mismatch. Either way, uh, so give me, um, give me Seton Hall. Michael, very quickly, if I if I appeared to you in October, when after you rubbed a genie in a bottle, right, and I appeared and I said that Seton Hall wins the Big East tournament this year, like Josh just kind of alluded to, I assume you meant Big East tournament, not regular season, but either way, well, no, they're well, I mean they're in there for the both. They're at the top of the Big East right now. They win one or the other or both. If I if I popped out and said I'm telling you that's what's going to happen on a scale of one to ten, how much would you have believed it in, in October? One and a half because I will always remember the Patrick Ewing run. I will always remember that. So that'll always be in the back of my head. I would have been th- sitting there like, yes. I mean, you know what? It'd be fun to see Shaw have a March Madness, like a, a March Madness hero run. But yeah, uh, not at all. Okay. I'd look. And that was just all I, that was going to lead into my point. I think Seton Hall wins this game. Everything, every bit of momentum is going their way after the St. John's game where they just absolutely, I know Patino was out with COVID. Hopefully he gets better. And they were without somebody as well uh, on playing. I didn't catch the uh, stat there, but I mean, they just put their foot on their neck and like, it just was one of those games, like the Prudential center when it's, when it's rocking, it seems to be one of the coolest places in the, in the Northeast. So um, I think Seton Hall takes care of Creighton. I don't necessarily think it's a blowout or anything like that, but I think they win at home very, very, very comfortably. I'm going Seton Hall as well. Um, and how about this for unsung hero transferring in from St. John's Dylan, I do what was a day with Sue. Um, you look at some of his numbers lately, like 16 against St. John's, 14 against Butler. He had 12 against Providence, 20 against Missouri, 11 against Iowa. Look at his three-point shooting. Three, three of six, three of four, one of three, two of six, four of six against Missouri. The point is he gives them a legitimate outside threat that somebody stepped up that got himself in the starting lineup that is – decently sized. I mean, six, four is still kind of undersized playing the three man, but it helps in that system where they go a little smaller and play fast. Do you guys agree with me? Shaheen Holloway, if the season ended right now would be at the very least one of the top two or three candidates for uh, national coach of the year. Yeah. For me, it's him. I think Penny's got to be up there just because of, we didn't have a ton of expectations for this Memphis team. None of us actually like this Memphis team coming into the season. Not a single person on this podcast said anything positive about, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, we were skeptical, you know. I picked him second in the American for crying out loud in the magazine. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, I'm just, just I do your joker. That's funny yeah. though. Uh, he's got to be up there. Shaheen Holloway's got to be up there. Penny up there, and 
maybe yeah i think those are the main two i think those are the main two but yeah uh shot would be my vote uh trev i was waiting i didn't know if you had an opinion on that or not oh uh, the coach I, I i misheard the question i i'm making sure i got some of the stuff ready for some of the next picks too Oh, I was just asking if the season ended right now, would Shaheen Holloway be either the national coach of the year or in the top two or three running for it? Because I think he's the national coach of the year at the moment. Yeah, I'd probably agree. Yeah, and I think you throw Lamont Paris in there for what he's doing at South Carolina because nobody, I mean nobody outside of South Carolina fans expected them to be where they're at right now. I think I'd Lamont Paris is. I'd give Steve Forbes a shout out too. Oh, yeah, he would have to be in their top five for sure. Let's move on to the other one back in the SEC. We got the number one offense in the country, Alabama, on the road against the number two defense in the country in a sort of rivalry game, Alabama at ten or at Tennessee. Who wins this classic fight of great offense against great defense? This is definitely my game of the weekend. I think this one's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, that said, Alabama, I do not know if they've been able to win a huge game on the road i believe they went at mississippi state and won i believe that would be their only one which to be fair that is a, a monster win to their credit but yeah that's their best win too to, to put that yeah. the whole, i mean that or indiana state that's their, either, mean, that's their two best wins yeah that's that's i mean full credit to them going to mississippi state winning that game uh they're on a good little winning streak for them but i think tennessee is the team that uh ends that winning streak tennessee i think just more physical and Tennessee will be able to control the pace and they have the guards to match up on the other end. And I don't know if Alabama has a matchup for Dalton connect. I think that is a huge mismatch. If it's Jaron Stevenson on him, a reclass freshman on Dalton connect. Mm. Yeah, I I'll be sure and sweet. I think if this game was in Alabama, I think it's more interesting, but I've never personally been to Thompson Boeing arena, but I have, I, I will attest to whatever everyone else has said about it until I find out. Otherwise I'd love to catch a game out there next year. I had some friends that went there. Like, look, Alabama's offense is, is when it's clicking, it's one of the best in the country, and obviously that bodes well against any defense. But, uh, yeah, this game's in Tennessee on a Saturday. The Vols are playing some of their best basketball despite the Mississippi State loss, like I said. Uh, yeah, Tennessee wins this game. I think Dalton connects sees multiple options on him. I think you see yeah. Ryland Griffin on him probably primarily. I think you'll get a small dose of Jaron Stevenson, maybe a small dose of Latrell Wright cell, but they're going to give him different looks to try to bother him. Here's the thing. Go back to Tennessee, their losses, especially the North Carolina loss. What Carolina do to them? They ran them. They got out in transition. They ran. They hit threes. Alabama, that is the style which they play. They've got the number one offense for a reason. Number one in offense, number two in effective field goal percentage. They are actually 34th in offense rebounding percentage, so they try to get second, third opportunities. Fifth in three-point shooting, they're shooting 39.7. They make free throws. They make, they make everything on the offensive end. It's their defense that's got to get some work. But you talk stylistically, everything is matchups based off that. I know it's in Thompson Bowling. I'm going to go different for the first time tonight. I'm going to say Alabama gets the big-time road victory. They're starting to figure some stuff out. They've definitely got the offense, but the defense is slowly trying to come along. And I think Alabama is going to score and pick the pace up in which Tennessee is not comfortable playing in for a full 40 minutes. I think Alabama goes on the road and it's a massive win. Also, Mark Sears playing some of the best basketball in his life right now. He's been unbelievable. They moved Aaron Estrada to the bench. He's coming off the bench as kind of a, a second scorer to lead the second unit. I like Alabama to go on the road and get a big-time win in this uh, pseudo-rivalry. 
I do want to ask, we don't have to preview on because I know we're starting to wrap up, but I will ask this. Most likely to lose a track game this weekend. You got Purdue at Iowa, Kansas at West Virginia, which has been a house of horrors, or UNC at Boston College. One of the three, I think, takes an L this weekend, but which one of the three is it? I'll be short and sweet because I actually, I'll tell you what I wrote down verbatim when you sent me this yesterday. Uh, none of them. And if I had to choose one, probably Kansas because West Virginia is one of the hardest places to play, even when they suck. Right. Wow. Uh, I would have said, can honestly, when I looked at this, I was like, all right, Kansas at West Virginia. West Virginia is terrible. So take that one off the list. So I was considering the other two. What does Iowa do that can mess with Purdue? Not a ton. So, eh. And then UNC BC is the one I'm going to choose. Quentin Post could just go for a zillion. But, like, that- I don't think any of them win. But, like, if there's one. If Baycott's guarding post, they yeah they could lose that game. That that's the one I'm going. Normally in years past, I would have said West Virginia just because history has shown us Kansas for whatever reason struggles to play West Virginia, especially on the road. I think they had went until last year they had lost like five in a row out there in Morgantown. I'm with you. I'm going Boston College. If they were to win, or if one of these trap games were to come through, I think it's gonna be Carolina at Boston College, and I love this Carolina team, but. Like you said, Quentin Post is a dog. This Boston College team is better than what some people think. They they play much better at home, obviously. But I, I think if that's the one, it's going to be BC over North Carolina if one of those three were to come through. Let's start wrapping this up. We're going to play the game. Trev, this is your first time getting to play it, actually. Uh, you haven't been on the last couple I've done this. But we're going to play the game. Final Four Sweet 16 upset first round game. And I've got three choices that are all kind of similar to make it a little harder. Final Four Sweet 16 upset first round between Clemson, Wake Forest, St. John's. Trev, this is your first time. I'll let you start. You want me to go all of them and then explain a little bit? Yeah, go ahead. Um, So I'll start with St. John's. I could see first round upset. I saw this team a couple uh, months ago in Charleston. I know they were a shell of themselves comparatively, but it continues to be a problem that, and Rick Coutinho made a point, shout out to him for 70K views on Twitter for me. But, you know, like, I mean, they don't read a scouting report. He's kind of right. Like they like defensive scouting report. (laughs) That is, they just continuously are getting beat up defensively and a team is going to be able to beat them. There's so many mid-major teams you know, that I think would be favorable matchups to them, whether the seed lines would work out, but like a Charleston, a UNCW, like a team like that, where just, I wouldn't be shocked if they beat St. John's. I gave them a shout out because we didn't get a chance. I'm going to that game this weekend in Wilmington. Um, first round upset for St. John's. Wake, I've seen plenty of times this year in person and on TV. Sweet 16, but if they, there's like, you know, the NC State result the other night was interesting. There, obviously, there was a couple of things that they shot themselves in the foot, but like, if they're full-blown clicking, Sweet 16, I believe. And the way I look at Sweet 16, I'll kind of lay this out and see if y'all agree or not. The way I look at when people ask me, like, tiers, right? It's like, okay, you're either a national championship tier team, which means I think no matter what, if the season ended, I would not be surprised if they won it or what I, I think they actually could. There's Final Four, and then I lump Elite Eight, Sweet 16 together because, honestly, you know, you could play a 15 seed. You could play a 13 seed. You could play a lot of teams in the Sweet 16. So Elite Eight or Sweet 16, kind of like Miami, where they made the Elite Eight a few years ago. Um, and then they finally got over the hump for the final four. So I kind of lump elite eight, sweet 16 together as a ceiling for a team. So I could see that for wake. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they made the sweet 16 and had a really good chance to make the elite eight. Um, and then Clemson, if you had asked me this two weeks ago before they just, 
Yeah, lost the other night in double overtime against Georgia they're Tech. Clemson and <laughs> I know, Clemson and, and, and yeah. Tech is Tech has been incredible. You know, when they are in these games, I know they've lost whatever it was in a row. But Stadamar is an incredible coach, and I can only yep. could see, I only see that getting better. Yep. Um, they should not have like they they were in every single game they played in the last eight, and they honestly could be on an eight game win streak, but they are not. They're on an eight game losing streak coming into this Clemson game or whatever it was. Um, I did a show uh, a segment on my show a few weeks ago. And I put Clemson in my Final Four tier because I really think if Clemson is everything's working right at the right time, I know the coaching advantage there would not be on their side, but I think that they have the talent and the wherewithal and the best player on the floor 90% of the time with P.J. Hall that they could make the Final Four. But for the sake of when you ask me this question, in summary, I would say Sweet 16, again, Elite Eight tier, that kind of jumbled together. Hope that all Perfect. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. I love the explanation. Uh, DeRosa. Clemson, Wake Forest, St. John's, rank them. Final Four, Sweet 16, upset first round. Yes, sir. Let's start with upset first round. I agree with Trev. I go St. John's here. Uh, when I look at the St. John's team, there's definitely a high ceiling. They could do anything. But that said, defensively, they're behind sometimes. If you can beat their initial line of pressure, their defense is very vulnerable. And if you have a big that can space Joel Soriano even a little bit, yeah, I think you could cause them some problems. Or bang with Joel Soriano a little bit, too. I think there's some problems you can cause there. They can look vulnerable at times, especially if they're not defended. They're doing really well in the Big East right now. Still a team I want to watch more. But, like, if they play a game like they did last night against Eaton Hall, they could lose to a nine seed, something like that. They'll be around that range. They could lose to someone like that very easily. Um, next up, Sweet 16. Give me Clemson here. I feel like this is like the Brownell special. Uh, just slump midseason. Yeah. But, like, he's still got the best player on the floor, P.J. Hall. Ian Shefflin, really good offensive rebounder. When Hunter is creating offensively, they're much better than when they try to initiate Gerard offensively. Gerard's more like a standstill catch and shoot, like banger of a shooter and can create a little bit. But when he's trying to be the lead option offensively, it's like, that's like you're going a little too much. Still show some weaknesses defensively too, for sure. There are definitely some like flaws with this team, but the right matchups and you got PJ Hall on the floor. Not many guys in the quarter better than PJ Hall. Let's be real here. So uh, give me them sweet 16 and final four. I really like the way this Wake team is constructed. I think coach Forbes is an excellent coach. I think Efton Reed inside. Dominant Hunter Salas. I mean, we talked earlier in the pod. That dude, he's that dude. He's that dude. He could go on a run. Boopy Miller. They just got a bunch of guys that can beat you. They're really well coached. I think of the teams I've seen play this year, of these three, not saying lifetime, of course. This is this is a this season achievement. I think Wake Forest is the best coached team consistently, game in, game out. They've had some, definitely had some downturns, definitely had some bad games, particularly early in the season when they weren't this team. But right now, they're they're cooking right now. And I just think the best version of Wake, I think, is the best of these three teams. So I'm going to go Wake Final Four. You took the exact same layout I had, and I'm going to agree with everything you said. Yeah, St. John's, it's you don't want to go against Patino because you, he gets in the tournament, dude. It's like a switch flips, and he can just kind of drag a team deeper than maybe what their talent says. But I'm going to go upset first round. I, I think it's a, obviously a building year for St. John's. I'm going to go Clemson. Sweet 16, I agree with everything both of you said. P.J. Hall, I think the talent's there. But I think ultimately they're going to run in a matchup that maybe even they should win, but they drop because of the coaching advantage and they're just missing too many shots. And I love Wake. I love watching this. Even though they've lost two of three, it does not bother me. I love this team. Top 30 offense, top 65 defense. You look on the offense end, 38% from three. They make free throws. They're the third best team at that in the country. They don't turn the ball over terribly. 
Only uh, 16.4% of the time they end in a turnover, which is 117 in the country. I wish they were better an offensive rebounding team. They're pretty bad at that, but they've got playmakers all around. I love the addition of Hunter Salas and how he's balling out. Cam Hildreth, and you talked about Efton Reed. I think Wake Forest, with the right matchups, a little bit of luck on their side with maybe some upsets so they avoid some matchups. I would not be surprised. We've seen far crazier in this tournament. Teams making the Final Four. If you told me Wake Forest makes the Final Four, I wouldn't be too shocked. We'll put it that way. I, I really love this Wake Forest team. Uh, let's go with shout-outs real quick. And Trev, I'll let you go first just in case we overlap and I don't want to steal your thunder. If you've got some shout-outs, I know you do. Go ahead and fire them off before we end here. I'm looking at my sheet. I promise you we don't have an overlap. <laughs> I would be surprised. Okay. Um, I try to like pull outside the box for mine. Um, I love yeah. that we do these. Um, I'll be really short. This is my first ever negative shout out. I have a few. Um, shout out to Jeffrey Anderson for helping State win the game against Wake the other night. We didn't talk about that game at all, but it had the most controversy of every, yeah, like literally T, both guys gone. Um, look, I love, you know, some people in the Wake community, but it just, it could have been officiated. That's the high knees, the high knees ref, right? Yeah, it is. So yeah, they uh, he, yeah, there's a couple of other. I'm going to leave that alone. Um, so, but it's great, great follow though. The Jeffrey Anderson account, yep. like the, like yeah. Ref, yep. yeah, he's be the best. Um, whoever runs, that's the best. Um, I'll leave it alone after that. It's my only bad shout out. Um, my next one, we didn't get to the K state game. They beat Baylor, uh, at home, um, early on in the year. This is more of a game specific shout out, but, um, it felt like people were almost doubting this K state team because of what they lost. Right. Tyler Perry's starting to really get into a, and that's Tyler Perry, by the way, um, who's that people are starting to get into a really good groove here. And they had a heck of a win. It seems like that, that chemistry that Jerome Tang just seems to always be able to build is, is, is here to stay. And we know that he's an incredible coach coming from Scott Drew's system, who they obviously uh, had the head-to-head. -head. Um, quickly, Fanta and Rafferty were incredible the other night. Fanta is just working his way up into some of the best guys in the Big East calling games. Obviously, to see a 60-year age gap between those guys was incredible, and the game was really great. Um, and then lastly, shout-out to SIDs that do their job well, that make our jobs uh, going to games, covering, getting mm. us information, getting us abilities to see these games. Like, big thank you to SIDs that really do their job and really do their job well. I wouldn't be able to do any of what I've been able to do this year from an in-game standpoint and coverage standpoint without these guys. So thank you so much to those that they know who they are, but just wanted to give a just overall guys that do their job in the SID role very well. Love that. I love that. I, I've got a couple real quick and I'll start with one and I'll, I'll tell you why I'm going to shout out Bronny James. A lot of people hate on him just because they don't like his dad. The kids finally healthy. The number one thing after a very serious heart condition that could have been way worse than what it was. He's back playing the game. Yes, he's not put up incredible numbers, but anybody who thought he would are either diehard LeBron fans or don't understand the type of player he is and the role it is in the college game. He put up 11. I know they got blown out, got beat by 15 last night against Arizona on the road, but he started for the second straight game. He had 11 points. He had five rebounds, six assists. Now, he, had, he led the team in turnovers with five, but again, we've talked about that before with Zakai Ziegler. Sometimes it comes with the territory. They did not have Boogie Ellis. They don't have Isaiah Collier, if I could spit it out. The kid's playing, and he's doing well, but some people want to shit on him because he's not his dad, and he's not putting up these incredible numbers. The kid's doing well for coming back from a heart condition, playing high-level college basketball. So I'm going to give him some love. I'm going the opposite route. You can't sneeze at 11 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists in 30 minutes against a top-10 team on the road. Like, you can't shit on that if you know anything about this sport. So, congratulations, Bronny. I hope you keep getting better and doing well throughout the course of the year. Love seeing that. Um, 
how about this for a baller? Caitlin Clark the other night put up 32 points, moved the number two all time in the women's scoring list, passing Brittany Griner. She has 3,306 career points. I don't know what else. We've talked about her for a year or two now on the shows. What else can you say? She's phenomenal to watch. She's, I think, single-handedly in a lot of ways, bringing women's basketball to the forefront of college, like, of basketball watchers, period. People are tuning into Iowa games just to watch her incredible, incredible talent. And then Coach Cal last night uh, got his 400th win as the head coach of Kentucky. He jo- He's in the top 10. I forgot where he falls. like eighth all-time in the fastest of 400 wins in one club. He's basically, I think it was like 400 wins and like uh, 113 losses. So congratulations, Coach, for getting your 400th win as the head coach of the Kentucky Wildcats. DeRosa, do you have any before we start wrapping up here? Really quick, DeRosa. I want to make a point about – I just want to make a point about Clark that I think – I forgot to bring this up weeks ago. Um, I don't have the exact thing in front of me, but just to sheer – just to understand the sheer magnitude, which, by the way, she's going to beat the record. Like, she's she's going Mm. to have it sometime in mid-February. But the point I'm going to make is – at one point when she whoever she passed last not griner but the one before right um i saw something where it was like her average this year could have been shrunk down by almost 10 points a game and she still would have achieved it by mid february it's crazy like like they it, cool. and i'm not doing the stat any justice cool. if i find it out i'll tweet it out from the ecb page or i'll i'll put it out there after the stream goes up but like just what she's doing and it draws such an attention that you made a point to like this is the most co- women's college basketball i've ever watched now does it help mm-hmm. that my favorite school is top five in the country of course it does but it helps that she is continuing to drive the sport and it, what it feels like in a way that no one's ever done it and those people on that list were all incredible players so it's almost like what i don't know what she's doing differently maybe it's nil maybe it's the way we're able to see these athletes she's sound like gatorade for crying out loud right i mean it, something is different about her, and I'm just – I'm so happy. What she's doing is we've seen incredible women talent. We've seen Diana Taurasi and Maya Moore, and we've going even further back, we've seen Shamika Holdsclaw back when I was younger at Tennessee. We've seen all this incredible talent, but she's playing, and I mean this in the best compliment possible. So clip this, whatever you got to do. Do not take this out of context. She's playing like a guy in the best terms. You watch what Steph Curry's doing. She's doing it in the women's game, pulling up from the logo. All those women before could probably do that, but it might have been a different game or they didn't have the confidence to consistently make it. Like Dinah Rossi, could, she could shoot, right? But Clark, as soon as she comes across half court, everybody's got their camera phones out because they're like, she might pull up on somebody from 45 feet and make it. So I think that's a big reason why, too. Just incredible talent. Yeah, she is cold. Uh, just quickly to get to my shout outs. First of all, shout out Coach Acuff. He joined us on the show. <laughs> Look at that. Look at me being a, a showman. Uh, but my main shout out I got is, did you guys see the end of the North Texas? 4-0 in the um, American, by the way. Did you see the end of the North Texas ECU game? Full yes. court pass, yes, catch, layup, ball game. Amazing. So shout out to the two guys who made that happen. Aaron Scott, the passer. Robert Allen, the finisher. Uh, big win for North Texas. That's four and zero in the American. So if you got the Mean Green winning machine, still chugging along. <laughs> I love it. Uh, is that all you had? Yeah, that's it. I'll couple it with this. Then Ross Hodge is an incredible coach. Yeah. I got a chance to oh. talk to him in Charleston. Like people don't realize, he was a humongous reason when Grant McCaslin went on to take the Texas Tech job. He is a huge reason that that defense is what it is. And I, I said on the show. 
That is, they are the most physically dominating team I've ever seen. And by the way, shout out to Aaron Scott, by the way, he's an incredible passer at the big spot. For him to be the guy not receiving that pass is a ballsy move in and of itself, but that shows you how much they believe in him. And and look, I make the comment about Ross Hodge. Shout out to Shirley Donovan. I tweeted that a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and he he seconded. He retweeted it and said, this is correct. And obviously, we know how plugged in he is in this college basketball world. Ross Hodge is an incredible guy, incredible coach, and yes, the Mean Green. Look, I, I had my doubts coming into the year. I, I don't remember where I had them ranked. I was probably somewhere three, four, five, six in the American, but... I mean, they are just—they're incredible. And ECU is obviously not a, not a hard, not a uh, easy team to beat either, especially as they're good this year at home. One of our uh, Facebook users that's been following along—I can't see who it is because it doesn't show up—but it says, "Shout out North Carolina State for not getting beat by Louisville last weekend." So <laughs> you didn't take the quad seven loss. So congratulations there. But seriously, I, I echo what you said. Go ahead, Derosa. You got yeah, I got one more. I just saw this as I was scrolling through. Shout out. Uh... Mikhail Brown Jones, 39 points and a win over Citadel. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Uh, shout out to him, though. That's oh, crazy. Incredible. 39, man. We got a lot of big time scoring performances. That was Peyton. <laughs> it doesn't show up. So, of course, it would be Peyton. Um, congratulations, or not congratulations. I'm saying thank you to Coach Acuff. I can't wait to have him back on. It's always a blessing when we have these coaches, whether it be Coach Acuff or we've had Coach Davenport multiple times, Coach. Um, Coach Para down at Rice. I know I wasn't on that time a month ago when Trev and Phil talked to um, – help me, I just went blank. Liberty's head coach. I just went blank there. Coach uh, McKay. Yep, it's McKay. Coach McKay. Thank you, Rich McKay. It's a blessing when we get to talk to these coaches and chop it up with them, and they seem like they enjoy themselves. So I cannot wait to have, have Coach Acuff back on. Hopefully, maybe he's an NCAA tournament team, and we'll talk to him in March as he prepares to uh, go play an NCAA tournament game for the first time. But wrapping up episode 175 for the midweek show, I, again, thank you to Coach Acuff. Thank you to the Lipscomb. I appreciate everybody. We had a pretty steady stream of viewers and commenters throughout the show, so we appreciate you guys. When this comes out, leave it a five-star review. Download, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Share it with your Lipscomb people because I'm guaranteed they get a kick out of this. But for Trev, for Michael, everybody who helps behind the scenes who wasn't here today, we thank you. Enjoy this episode, guys, and we will catch you down below. Good luck to Lipscomb tonight against Central Arkansas. What's going on with the Zebras?